Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Yang Gang Podcast. We're your hosts, Evan and Connor. With us this evening is Jim Pugh. Jim Pugh is the co-founder of the Universal Income Project, an organization dedicated to spreading the narrative on basic income. He is also the founder and CEO of Share Progress, a social group startup helping progressive organizations use the power of data and technology to grow their base and win campaigns. He also has served as Director of Analytics and Development for President Obama's Organizing for America. He as well also has a PhD in Distributed Robotics. Jim, how are you this evening? I'm doing well. Excited to be on the podcast. Yes, thank you so much for, for being here. We're excited to uh, just kind of, uh, as Evan had mentioned uh, off air, just kind of pick your brain about what's, um, what your perspective is and your thoughts are on universal basic income. Yeah, I also basically you know wanted to ask you about the uh the basic income march that's coming up um in a few different cities but i know here it's october 26th in san san francisco so i wanted to ask you about that and uh yeah kind of pick your brain on some of these subjects yeah absolutely do you, do you want to start with the march or, or other stuff first yeah let's start with the march so yeah that is so october 26th in a lot of different cities now um I, I'm actually not an expert on, on what is, is the exact current situation uh, around the world with this, um, but I know that it seems to be growing every day, it seems like. But San Francisco, where I'm based, will be one of those cities, so we're going to be having people showing up uh, as part of this. Um, a lot of details are still in flux. We're still figuring out where, where the direct march route will be, where uh, who exactly is going to be all the speakers there. We'll have a lot of local folks who are doing work around basic income, coming out to talk about that and their perspectives on it. But it's gonna be a real chance for folks who support this policy concept to get together, to meet one another, and to really show how much momentum there is building behind this idea in the US. For sure. Um, do you know how many different cities specifically that this is gonna be in? You know, it keeps changing on me. I think the last count I saw was 15 maybe, but that, that could be totally dated at this point, to be honest. That's still a lot, 15. Yeah. Um, how did you first get introduced to this idea of universal basic income? So, you know, I, I don't actually remember where I very first heard about basic income. I'm, I'm sure I was reading something online. Um, it may have been in the context of the Swiss campaign for basic income that launched back in 2013, where they were trying to enact a national version for everyone in Switzerland. Um, but I, when I first heard about it, honestly, my initial reaction is this seems weird and like not something that really makes sense. And it's trying to do something too simple to actually make sense uh, for the sorts of tough problems that, that it's aiming to solve. But then the more I read about it, the more I saw the research that was being done and showing how effective cash transfers are and have been in a number of different contexts and how so much of the challenges that people are dealing with today, underlying those, oftentimes it really is poverty. And so if we can actually provide a way to ensure everyone has this secure income floor, suddenly a lot of these complex, complex sticky situations may become a lot easier for us to deal with. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so what, why did you feel so compelled, I guess, expanding on that, to start the Universal Income Project? Um, when did you start it? So I, I first started becoming active around UBI in late 2014. Um, I started having some conversations with folks and, and did some writing in early 2015. 
And the, re the reason for me was I, looking at our political conversation around economics, it really seemed to be pretty backwards looking. It was talking about how do we basically just fortify or rebuild some of the systems that had uh, often worked quite well for us in the 20th century, but with the changing uh, economic and technological situation that I think not only are we predicting years down the road, but that we've experienced already that may not make as much sense anymore and, and that may not account for some of the new ways that people were engaging in, in work and, and the, the new structures that were emerging in our society. And so I, I think at the beginning for me, UBI really was just one possible direction, but it was a direction. And so my, my initial, I think, premise was, let's start talking more seriously about this because maybe it's something that's, that's actually going to be, be helpful for us. Um, and then uh, as I started to write about it, as I started to talk to more people, I found that there was a lot of other folks who, who seemed to be in a, a pretty similar boat uh, feeling like that we weren't having important conversations, that we were missing something as far as the scope of the ideas that were being considered. And so a few of us in, in 2015 then decided, all right, we think that there's, there's really the need for, for something bigger here. And so uh, decided to, to start Universal Income Project. Um, the, the big kickoff for us was we organized what we called a create-a-thon in late 2015, where we invited people to come and, and create in a broad sense. Maybe that was through tech, maybe it was through art, maybe it was through writing, but around the theme of universal basic income. And uh, yeah, to basically to like tap their imagination as far as, as how they would want to engage on that. Um, and we had such a greater response than, than we'd anticipated. We were planning for maybe 20 people getting together and within 48 hours of just posting an event on Facebook, we already had more than 100 RSVPs. Wow. So that was a moment where we're like, oh, okay, like there's something here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So would you say that your, your background in, because you majored, I know, in, in robotics. <laughs> I, did, I did some research on you. <laughs> and um, would you say that that kind of influences it? Or do you view, I guess, a universal income as maybe a counter to the rising threat of automation? You know, that was definitely a big part of why I initially got interested in it, the concerns around the growing threat of automation. I don't know that it necessarily ties too much into the research I'd done previously, but it was something that uh, certainly seemed like a, a big risk. And, uh, but you know, the more time I spent on the policy, I think the less that has felt like uh, the real rationale to me, because I think that just digging in to understand how things are working today and how much financial insecurity we, we already have in the system and, and how much uh, having an unconditional income floor would be a game changer for so many people. I, I don't know, like I, I, whether or not in, five, 10, 20 years, we've automated away a bunch of jobs. I think we need UBI. And so at this point, I, that's when I talk to people, when I introduce it, that's off, sometimes it doesn't even come up um, because I think that obviously there's a lot that we need to figure out for some future where, where most jobs uh, are, have disappeared um, beyond UBI even. But I think that uh, I, I no longer see that as, as, as a prerequisite for, for needing to actually push hard for making this happen. Huh. What are some of the biggest problems you faced 
trying to advocate for UBI. Or have you seen any, is there any pushback or hesitation? Oh yeah, definitely. Because I mean, I've, I've been working in progressive politics for about a decade. And so when I started working on that, a lot of my conversations were with people who, who are actively involved in that space. And I would say, I think there's two big obstacles that I'd say primarily stood in the way of, of being able to make fast progress, which are related to each other. Um, I think one is just status quo bias, that we are, we're used to things operating a certain way. And anytime you talk about doing things very differently, people who are plugged into the existing systems are just inherently resistant because, I mean, any big change, you can't know exactly what's going to happen. It's very disruptive. And so uh, even, even if you see things as they exist today as imperfect, you still may be very, very hesitant to embrace something that, that turns that upside down. So I think that's, that's a big obstacle that, that did exist and still does exist. And I think the it, other one. Sorry, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, I was just going to say, is it something where people are, are tying it in with like the concept of welfare? Um, I know there's a, there's a lot of people out there that kind of get a little, um, I have lack of a better word, iffy about the whole notion of like government handouts. Are, are, is that the kind of pushback you see sometimes when discussing this? Um, I think that there's that too. I would say from a general population perspective, that the, the idea that if, if you give people cash without strings attached, that they will misuse it, that they don't really deserve it. That's certainly very, very prevalent. Mm -hmm. um, one thing that I've been pretty heartened by is that there's a lot of folks and again, so I, I, I should say Universal Income Project, we consider ourselves a progressive organization. We work generally with folks on the left uh, around this idea. And in that space, I've actually been pretty hardened that there seems to be a good amount of receptivity to the idea that, that, that's, that that's actually not what happens. Um, because I, I think in a large part, because we have accumulated over the past decade now so much evidence about how powerful unconditional cash can be. And so um, that, that's made, uh, caused a real shift in perspective amongst a lot of people in that space. Um, and so they're more, they're more open to, to considering that idea now. Whether they're willing to stick their necks out to push something forward, I think is, is a separate question. And I think that's where getting more popular support is, is key. Um, but I think something that, that ties into all this and is, is the other big obstacle I would say I, I've encountered is uh, the difference between people having the scarcity versus abundance mentality. And so much of our politics has been for decades now very much centered in, in this austerity perspective. The idea that, oh, there's not enough to go around. We need to slice and dice. And you can't talk about anything big unless you say exactly how you're going to pay for it. Um, and, and just the idea that we don't have enough, which is so counter <laughs> to where our economy is actually at. Because, I mean, we've continued to see economic growth for decades now. Our, our GDP has gotten so much larger. We have so many more resources than we've ever had in human history. And if we were to really em embrace that idea and say, hey, we've got a lot, let's actually figure out the big things we could do. I think that just, it opens up the door to not just UBI, I think there's a lot of big ideas, but I think that that's, because people aren't in that space, because the message has been, 
oh, we don't have enough. We have to like cut. Uh, there's, yeah, you can't, mm. you can't afford things. Um, that's just such a big obstacle to, to push these things forward. I think that's what's refreshing about since we're the, the Yang Gang podcast, I have to kind of mention Andrew Yang is like, I think that's what's refreshing about Andrew Yang to a lot of a lot of people out there who are getting introduced to him is because he does have that sh- that shift in mentality. You know, when people are like, oh, he, he just doesn't sound like the traditional politician like he's it's because I think he is coming at it from an abundance mentality. And I, I think that's a fascinating point you make. Uh, and a distinction to make that, you know, for so long, we've had this scarcity mentality mm-hmm. when, the, you know, of course, like the privileged few get to, you know, rake it all in and then they create for everyone else, the scarcity mentality. Right. Um, but I, 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 that was a very fascinating point. Um, and I think we're, we're also starting to see um, the evolution of Andrew Yang and really bringing to the forefront um, this this concept of universal basic income and how it can be helpful. And we're starting to see examples across even this country mm-hmm. um, with people benefiting from it. Yeah. Um, what else are your, do you have any other current projects with a universal income project? Um, any- uh, we are, unfortunately, the stuff we're working on now, there's nothing, it's still, it's, it's stuff in the early phases. So we are, we're exploring a new potential pilot program um, but I, I can't at this point, unfortunately, say, say more about that. Um, and also doing some policy work, uh, looking at, uh, uh, yeah, how, how UPI might be implemented. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that's been, that's been our, our main focus over most of this year. And of course, our, our podcast as well, which we continue to do every week. Yeah. What are your thoughts about the trial that's going on right now in, in Stockton, California? I know you live out here in, in San Francisco like we do. Um, so that's not that far away. And I know Mayor Tubbs was actually saying that, in his opinion, we need UBI, but we also need to keep a lot of the current social structures that we have. What are, what are your opinions about that? Yeah, so that is, um, so, so it's something, this has been a big discussion amongst people working in the basic income space for, for a few years now. Um, but there are, there's a good number of us um, Mayor Tubbs and, and myself included, uh, who actually do believe pretty strongly that the way, if you're coming to UBI with the idea that you really want to maximize what's going to make a difference for people who are struggling, um, then you should you should not do it in such a way where you are making it an either or with existing social programs. Um, and I think that that's, that that's for me also something that's shifted over time. When I first came to UBI, my view was, oh yeah, we, let's get rid of most things that exist because UBI will be a decent replacement. Um, and I think just digging in on the nuts and bolts of how much money people are getting, there's a reasonable argument to that because a lot of these programs are less uh, in just about every case. And when you're when you're putting strings attached to it, it's it's less helpful for people. So, if if with food stamps, it's with SNAP, we could just give people a cash instead of uh, funds that are only allowed for certain purchases. That would be better for them. But I think that the reason for having more of a hard line as to why universal basic income shouldn't be treated as an either or is, I think, more broadly around how how do we want this program 
to be framed and perceived? And is it a new welfare state or is it something new? Because for me, the, the model that I like most for UBI is what we have in Alaska right now. It's the permanent fund there where, um, and I'm not sure if you've talked about this on a podcast before, um, but the oil and state has allowed the state to create this large wealth fund that is invested. And then every year, the returns on that fund are paid out equally to every person in the state. And so the, huh. and that's been happening for 40 years now. And people generally get between one and $2,000 every year for every person, regardless of your age, regardless of whether you're working. If you're Alaska residents, you get that money. And so uh, it, is, it is really the closest thing we have to a UBI, not just in the US, but in the world today. And mm -hmm. there was some polling that came out uh, a year or two ago asking people what they thought about that. And I mean, as most folks know, Alaska is a pretty red state. It is so immensely popular there. People think that it's just fantastic. It's, you get it because you're Alaskan. It's, there's an identity thing around it. Like people actually see ownership over it. And when you talk about uh, any sort of interplay with like, is this like an alternative for a job? Is this not like something like handouts or welfare? People say, no, no, this is something entirely different. And I think that there's a certain power in this idea of treating UBI as this is actually our just compensation. This is like, everyone gets it. It is, it's something different. It's something new in a way. Um, but I think when you talk about this being either or with the social safety net, you get into this, uh, very difficult political space around what your what this actually is and then i think it makes it harder to argue for universality there because if it's about supporting people like why is everyone getting it um i think that uh it's it, it could make it more difficult for people to to adopt that mindset of like this is just a fair share thing um and so and i think at the end of the day if you if you do cut social programs Yes, that allows gives you a bit more revenue to pay for UBI, but it's not that much more. And if your goal is really to support people who are struggling, why why are you making that trade off? Why not talk about all the expenditures for for people higher in income scale? Hmm. Yeah, it's it's an important distinction to draw. Um, and I think as it uh, well with your with your guys's work is definitely helping this cause, which you know I know for. We're speaking on behalf of the Yang gang out there that we are appreciative of, of your guys' work in that regard. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about um, what Share Progress is all about and, and your work with that? Sure. So Share Progress, uh, this is a, a company I started about seven years back now. Um, and it came out of the work I was doing in the political space. Uh, my, my work with uh, on, on the first Obama campaign and, and for him out in D.C. after uh, I was focused primarily on digital analytics. So it was using, uh, doing analysis and doing uh, controlled A-B testing around our messaging and, and the, the activism that, that we were doing with supporters online. Um, and uh, one thing we saw is that one of our most powerful ways of outreach was through social media. That as uh, when we were launching a new campaign, when we were doing some sort of fundraiser or whatnot, the additional engagement we get through people just telling their friends on, on Facebook, on Twitter, and so on, uh, was really a game changer for, for both the campaign success and, and for the work that we did afterwards in DC. Um, and so we, the company produced tools that basically 
allowed organizations to, to automate a lot of, uh, of that process and to make it easier for them to, to measure and uh, to be able to do, do testing and experimentation around what was most effective in, in doing that work. Wow. Wow. Um, what would you say I, that you think most people would do with an extra $1,000 a month? Um, in my opinion, I, I think that they would use it for things like, like paying rent, but what would your opinion be? I mean, I think, I think the rationale and the beauty of cash is that it's so many different things, right? If it was just one thing, we could just like have a program that did that one thing and you could do the same thing. <laughs> Um, but I think that it is, I mean, what I, the, the thing that really excites me about UBI and, and, and work in this space is the difference it makes in mindset for people. And so, uh, I mean, we were talking about in the political sense, the kind of austerity versus abundance perspective, but I think at the personal level that very much is at play as well. And so, so many people are, are really just focused on like, how am I going to get through the week? How am I going to get through the day? Um, and still be able to, to, to pay my rent bill, to, to put food on the table. But I think when you have that breathing room, I think then the, the things that excites me and then I, I think and hope a lot of people will use uh, some of the money for is to like pursue those new things that they've at times maybe dreamed about, but never felt like they actually had a real path towards it. So whether that is taking some new class, like a music class or uh, coding class, um, whether it is um, uh, saving up a bit and then trying to start uh, start some sort of business, um, whether it's maybe it's travel. Like, I mean, there's a lot of people who have never been able, effectively never been able to leave the town or city they grew up in and actually being able to take a trip and see more of the country or the world can be a pretty transformative experience. But I think it's it's things like that where the, the ultimate impact of, of allowing people to think bigger um, is just so profound um, and I think could have such positive uh, outcomes for our society over the long term. Mm -hmm. I, I agree with that. I, um, I think just even the idea of it gives you just like this, I guess, like a chill up your spine, like a, a sense of hope that, oh man, I can actually like it starts to get you your mind going like, Oh, I could, you know, use a little bit for this. I could use a little bit for that. Um, it through that vein, what do you think you would do with a thousand dollars a month? <laughs> um, I think I would probably be doing about the same thing I, I'm doing right now. Um, mm -hmm. although I guess if I had it, it would have mean we've already passed TBI. So I I'd, I'd have to work on something else. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, yeah, no, I mean, I think that, uh, I actually feel privileged because through the company I started, I, I actually, I, I'm able in a position now where I can spend only part of my time on that and still receive a salary. So in a way I actually have something like very much like a guaranteed income with, that allows me to spend uh, at this point, most of my time doing this work with the universal income project. And so um, I, I feel like I, that gives me to a degree, some personal experiences to what, what I hope will, will be, more universal if we're successful in this work. Hmm. Um, so in terms of the basic income march, are you going to be at, at every one of these marches? Or are you just going to be in San Francisco? Is there like one person specifically who is really kind of driving this? You know, I, I, so I should say I am, I'm assisting in San Francisco. 
Um, and, uh, but I'm not, uh, the leadership of this um, uh, is, uh, in fact, I'm not even entirely sure. I think they're in New York, um, but Dylan Enright, I know, is, is one of the folks leading this effort. Um, so no, I will not be at every location. I'm actually trying to figure out at this point, uh, I, I'm helping San Francisco, but uh, I, I think I'll be at one of them, but I'm not even sure which one it will be at this point, to be honest. Hmm. Yeah, I think it was Olivia of the Basic Income March who put us in touch, and then we talked to David Lee as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, they're really driving things in San Francisco. Hmm. Interesting. Um, I guess just kind of wrapping up here, um, is there anything else specifically about like UBI and or that you're doing with uh, universal income um, that you think people should know about? Yeah, I think something that I... I have found very fascinating, and I think that there's uh, there's there's a, a really a lot to dig into. Is when you when you do start to think that one step beyond just oh everyone getting cash every month, and think about yeah what does this mean in a larger sense for our society? Because I do think that in my view that that is really where where the exciting transformative shifts start to happen. And I think it, it's, if, if you go down that rabbit hole, it, it takes you to a place where you can really start to imagine what, what a, a different world looks like. Um, and it's, it's, more, it's more than just UBI, that there's a lot of stuff, I think, that, that we need to sort out in our society. Um, but I think the more that, that we, as advocates here, can, can spend time in that space and can really develop a deep understanding of, of what a better world could look like, the more effective we're going to be at being able to communicate that to others and getting more people on board with this idea. Huh. Well, I, I guess one more question, if you don't mind. Yeah. So um, you studied robotics, right? Uh, so I'm assuming you've seen the things that like Boston Dynamics are doing. Does any of that, does any of that scare you? Because I'm kind of, it kind of scares me, to be honest. We, we were definitely fascinated when we saw the, the distributed robotics uh, <laughs> focus of study. And we were, we were just interested because um, we're, we're fascinated, but also slightly fearful of this whole idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, if you, uh, I, I would say a great remedy, a great remedy to being terrified about robots coming and taking over is to actually spend time <laughs> working with them. Because then you get to, see how dumb they actually are just about all the time. Hmm. Um, so my, I, I, I'm not terribly nervous about that scenario. I think I'm far more nervous about the, uh, what, what I consider the more insidious forms of automation, which is where we're actually just creating the, the smart computer systems that can go and, and run businesses on their own and make decisions about trading stocks and whatnot way faster than, than people can realize. And, and who knows what those will do if those get out of control. Huh. That makes me a little bit feel a little bit better about the situation. <laughs> yeah, it really does. <laughs> we have we have some ways to go, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> do you watch Do you watch Westworld at all? Just curious. I do. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Shame, shameless Westworld plug here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I enjoy Westworld. I, I'm not I'm not too concerned about that happening anytime in the particularly near future. <laughs> okay. Good. Uh, all right. Yeah, that is good. All right. Um. So. For everybody, this is Jim Pugh. Um, the Basic Income March is October 26th. Um, Jim, is there a specific website where they can go to find out more about this? I mean, Basic Income March is a great one to, to go to. And then Income Movement is the organization that's putting it on. So I think uh, both of those will provide helpful information here. 
Yeah, and your website is universalincome.org. Yep, that's right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talk to, talking to us today. I know we really appreciate it. Um, you, didn't, you didn't have to do this, so, so thank you so much. And for our listeners, I would encourage them to go on and visit those websites. And, uh, yeah, come out to the march on October 26th. Yeah, I hope to kind of keep a line open with you. Um, and, yeah, totally. Yeah, and maybe we can bounce some questions off, off of you in the future. Um, yeah. Yeah, as because it, it, I think it's clearly this this concept is starting to pick up steam. Mm -hmm. uh, with every month, um, we're seeing upticks across the board with not only like Andrew Yang's, but like people showing up for things like the UBI March and and, mm -hmm. and things of that nature. So uh, we definitely, with that line kept open, I think we can follow up, kind of have a follow up episode with um, any any like updates with uh, with what's going on. Yeah, that'd be great. I think it is. I yeah. I, I've been very excited to see how much energy there is out there um, in Indian gang, and so I think uh, yeah, figuring out how how we can be yeah, help helping that and and figuring out how we actually turn that into making this all happen. Yeah. Well, we uh, we thank you very much for your work and and for your time this evening, Jim. We really appreciate it, and uh, we'll definitely talk to talk to you soon. And we'll have this episode up and running probably in the next day or two. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. And and everybody, this is Jim Pugh. You can listen to him on the Basic Income podcast as well, if we haven't mentioned that. So thank you so much, Jim. Until yeah. next time. It's not left. It's not right. It's, it's forward. forward.